10% of their money. Those who earn 70000 or more give 1% of their money. Households of committed Christians earning less than twelve five give 7%, and that doesn't change until somebody makes over $90,000. Zambian.com said, if members of the historically Christian churches in the United States, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Bible churches, etc., were excluding what some would call Christian churches like the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. They are not Christians, they are cult. That is not a joke. But if historically Christian churches would give 10% of their money, we would have an extra $139 billion to do God's work here on earth. So before we talk about money, as it's been said in a good business book, we must confront the brutal facts. Those are the facts. And if I were to read to you some other facts in here about just how many born-again Christians give, you would be discouraged. But the Bible talks about it 2,350 times. And so we're going to talk about it today. And it's going to be good. You're going to walk away from here encouraged. You're not going to walk away from here feeling like, um, man, if I don't put some money in that box when I leave, God might strike me down. You're not going to walk away feeling that. You're going to walk away going, this is awesome. I can't wait to give my money away. I can't wait to get out of debt, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. That's very uh, articulate, isn't it? Blah, blah. Shall I pray? Father, your word is clear. It is true, and so we're going to look at it. We're going to see what you have to tell us about money. Father, I pray that as we hear these verses, as we think through these principles, that we would be encouraged, that we would see that money is a tool that you can use in our lives to sanctify us, and it's a tool that we can bless others with. Father, I pray that as we walk away from here, never again would we look at money the same. And that will only happen if your Holy Spirit works in our hearts. So I pray that now. Keep me from error. Let me just open up the text. Let it speak for itself. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alfred Nobel, Alfred Nobel, if you're familiar with the Nobel Peace Prize, the reason we have a Nobel Peace Prize is Alfred Nobel (laughs) saw his own obituary. And so he's reading the newspaper and he sees that he had died. It was really his brother who had died. But when he saw that, this was a chemist who was making bombs or or some sort of a destructive... um, He was using his skill given by God for something to destroy, and this chemist saw his own obituary and said, wait a second, I'm not dead. But that's pretty eye-opening, because up until this time, all I'm doing is making things to destroy the world. I need to change my life. And hence, we come up with the Nobel Peace Prize. It's because he saw eternity in the glimpse. He had a glimpse of where he was headed, and he said, I've got to change what I'm doing. And that is the need that we have. Hopefully today you will either have a new perspective, it will be fresh or it will be refreshed in your mind about money. Because money matters. Double entendre there. Money does matter and there are matters about money. And so if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, that's going to be the diving board off which we jump into the entire text. If you're following along in the handout, There is a preview. 
We're going to look very quickly at a book outlined by Dr. Randy, or he's not a doctor, by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle. Then we will look at an outline of a Dr. Craig Blomberg on neither poverty nor riches. Then we'll look at a handout I put together called The Heart, Habits, and Hope of God's Money Manager. And then there's some resources. And so when we turn there to Randy Alcorn's little book called Treasure Principle, it's about 92 pages, it's very short. This book, you're more than welcome to it, will radically change your life on how you view your money. His first principle says, God owns everything and I'm his money manager. Randy Alcorn is not coming up with this. He is merely saying, Psalm 24, and there are others, that this is the idea. God owns everything. Psalm 50 says, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. I'm just his money manager. That is, we are to be good stewards. Principle number two, my heart goes where I put God's money. You see that? I, my, my heart goes where I put God's money. It is not my money. I don't own anything. So if I were to pull out my wallet, right? It's a sermon on money. You can pull out your wallet. The only time I can do it. And if I were to pull out all the money in my wallet, this is this is not Judd's money. I don't get to look at this and go, what am I going to do with my money? This is God's money. This has been said in the movie, there's a thousand dollars in there, or maybe there's not. That was from the movie. Principle number three, heaven, not earth, is my home. We are citizens, Philippians 3 says, of heaven. We are not citizens, ultimately, of this city, of this state, of this country. Yes, we are by our birth or by um, being, what's the word, where we become nationalized citizens. If you come from Canada, you can do that after so many years. Principle number four, I should live, this is huge, I should live for the line, not for the dot. The dot represents life on earth. It is a specific beginning and a specific end, but we live for eternity. That's where we should be investing our money, our time, our resources. And principle five, giving is the only antidote to materialism. We will look at the Sermon on the Mount just briefly. Jesus raised the bar. He did not lower it. And he even said, that the tithe is God's historical marker to start giving, to start on that path. Some of you may even be making questions, Doesn't the new t- where's t- 10% in the New Testament? Should I give 10%? What if I have all this debt? Hold on. God prospers me not to, I love this, raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Psalm 67 says, Lord, be gracious to us, bless us, cause your face to shine upon us, that we may be a blessing to the nations. Our blessing is not to raise our standard of living. I get a raise doesn't mean I have to go get a bigger house or a bigger car. It means, wow, maybe I could now support two kids in compassion. And he says in his book, if we really understood this out-of-the-world returns, that is, if you put your money in the stock market, you may or may not get a return. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you, if you invest in the future, you may not see it now, but I assure you it's out of this world, then we would be, like the Macedonians of 2 Corinthians 8, begging, begging, literally begging for the privilege to give. Okay? Moving on, we're not going to cover a lot of this, but this is a summary of what the Bible says about wealth. Neither poverty nor riches, a biblical theology of possessions, is summarized well in those six principles. Wisdom is better than wealth. It's all over the Proverbs. 
Wealth has limited value. Those who have money must be generous. It's not an option. The wealth of fools will not last. Foolish behavior leads to poverty, and poverty as a result of injustice. Poverty is is a result of injustice or oppression, and I added, or indolence. The idea of us not taking good care of what God's given us. That is the Old Testament. You can read that on your own. If you flip the page, you see what he says about the New Testament. And in summary, he gives you five principles. Material goods are a good gift from God and meant for His people to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6. At the same time, that good gift can replace the giver and turn hearts away from God. Romans 1. You have gone after the creation instead of the Creator. A sign of growth in the life of a believer is how they steward their material possessions. A sign of growth in the life... How do I view the fact that when I was backing out today, my neighbor put his grill that was for sale right behind me, and so I hit it. Yeah, I tried. And I I hit it. Do I lose everything and go, my truck, my truck? Or do I go, oh, man, he could have done that a little different, or I could have paid more attention, blah, blah, blah. Why am I saying that? No more of those. But how are you going to view that? If your car gets, if, or if you hit the side of your garage, how do you view that? Do you lose all sorts of cool and just say, oh no, my pride and joy, the Honda Ridgeline has a dent? Or do you see that that is God's truck and He wanted it to have a little ding in the back of the tailgate today? It happened. To bless Ben, that's right. Because when I hit the side of my garage, I take it to you and it, it just all moves. The principle of moderation helps us balance the extremes of excessive accumulation and oppressive communism. How about consumerism? Sorry about that. Money does not... Uh, Wow, that's because money does not check spelling. All of these things are intertwined with spiritual matters, which gets us quickly to the handout I want to go over. There are two popular ideas of money today. On this side, this is the one you're all familiar with. This is called the prosperity gospel. Amen? Yes! If I do what God says, and you've heard preacher kind of raise there, then God's going to prosper me and bless me. I will be healthy and I will be wealthy. The wallet will get thicker and I will get fatter. Prosperity gospel. Bad. Unbiblical. But on the other end now, there's this movement in Christianity of the poverty gospel. Don't own anything. Give everything away. And they take examples like St. Francis of Assisi or the rich young ruler that are descriptive of one relationship and they make them prescriptive for all of life and says we ought to throw everything away we ought to move to the city inner city and take care of the poor and this is what this is what really we're called to do to which i would say in a medium stance really well who's funding your ministry there since you've given everything away who's funding it we need wealthy people to fund 
ministry. Poverty gospel, prosperity gospel, both are unbiblical. God blesses me materially, material possessions are evil. Not true according to the Scripture. Money is a tool. It is a resource. Like technology, it can be used for good or it can be abused for bad. And so we will be accountable for how we use it. We need to know what is the heart behind how we manage our money, what are some habits to get into if we're not in them already, and what is the hope? Hope. First things first, the heart of God's money manager. Here are five principles to ponder. And we're in Matthew 6. Money is a heart issue, it's an eye issue, and it's a hand issue. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is a fact. And so what he's saying is, be eternally investing. If you lay up treasures on earth, you are going, they are temporal. They will disappear. They can be stolen. They can be rotten. And you will be consumed with them. I assure you. I assure you. You will be consumed with them. That if you were to buy, we were walking around the wings and wheels yesterday where they had a whole bunch of airplanes, a whole bunch of cars. Luke was wide-eyed, but they were giving away the epic pass, right? The epic ski pass. And when you buy the epic ski pass, never we don't ski, so we don't have one, but when you buy the epic ski pass, you feel like you need to ski. There's where your treasure is. There's where your heart is. I have the epic. Now, if you had given it to you at a raffle, you know, if you use it once or twice, you don't care. But if you buy it, I've got to go skiing because I have the epic ski pass. So it could be said with, I don't know, a value pass at Eagle Ranch. You buy that, and it's now, I got a golf. Or let's say you go get yourself a new fly fishing rod and a whole bunch of flies, and you get yourself one of those cool boats from uh, Costco where you can get in it, and you can just cruise down the river. All of a sudden, you want to fish. Because where your heart goes, where your treasure goes, there your heart follows. So we need to be eternally investing. It's a heart issue. It's an eye issue. Right in between this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The reason people store up treasures on earth is they do not see clearly. And so we need to be internally investing and clearly seeing. We need to have a right vision of money. And then finally, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Can't do it. You will either serve God and see money as a tool, and it's his, and you're his money manager, or you will serve money because you think, it's not that money in and of itself, but you think the pleasures and the security and all that money buys will will come if you serve money well. Jesus says be eternally investing, be clearly seen, be lovingly serving your God and money for His glory. Two, it's just this is the one everybody knows, but it's got to be said again. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that. 
It's the love of money. And it's really not the love of money. It is not the love of this. It is not the love of this. It's the love of what this can do for me. I don't go, if I were consumed with money, I don't put the money out and say, oh, I love you. I love what this can do for me. And when we're not clearly seen, it's that love of money that will lead us away with its deceptions. 1 Timothy. Number three, we must view money as a resource God has given us to love Him with all our hearts and love our neighbor as ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which includes your money, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why He's given it. To take care of yourself, your family, and those around you. Number four, I bet you've never heard this. It's okay to be rich. Boaz was rich. Read the book of Ruth. He was very rich. He was very wealthy. And he took care of Ruth. Praise God. We love Boaz. We want our daughters to marry a Boaz. And it's okay to be poor, right? Ruth was poor. It's okay. She was poor. She did not come in and say, gee, I'm poor. I need a handout. She said, I'm poor. I need to go to work. And so the point is, wherever God has assigned you, Acts 17.26 says, He has designed where you live and even the boundaries, you are to be righteous. Boaz was a righteous, rich man. He took care of the less fortunate. Don't glean those fields. And in fact, I want you to throw some grain out for her. Can't wait to teach that here. Such a good book. And then Ruth, she didn't just go looking for a handout. She said, Naomi... let me put, and she was polite about it. May I please go glean in the field after one in which I might find favor? She trusted in her God. She had just left Moab. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and God do so much to me if I do not follow you. And so she goes in the name of God and says, let me go and work. Last week's sermon. It's okay to be rich. It's okay to be poor. Just make sure you're righteously rich or righteously poor. There are unrighteousness in both. There are unrighteous rich who do nothing. It's like the new movie coming out, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. It's unrighteous. And there are unrighteous poor. It is, it is wrong, as this group over here we talked about earlier, to say if one is poor, they are closer to God. That is not true according to the Scriptures. And finally, our standard of giving when it comes to giving is not a dollar amount, nor is it a percentage of your budget. Ultimately, it is the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8.9 2 Corinthians 8.9 In fact, you want to stay at 2 Corinthians because there's a lot of good stuff in there. But 8.9 says this, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Paul is actually using the cross, the gospel, as the means by which we should be overwhelmed with the joy of giving our money and our possessions away. He used the gospel because it is a great picture if you want to use monetary terms. Jesus Christ came and He purchased, God purchased us back through Him. That 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own. There's nobody in here that is their own. You were bought, using monetary language, bought with a price. You're 
bought with a price. More on that in a few minutes. That's our standard of giving. A lot of discussion, should I give gross or net? Uh Uh-huh, whatever your heart leads. But your standard of giving is the Lord Jesus Christ. The habits of God's money manager. Eight essential vitamins to a healthy financial life. Some of you know these. These are just a refresher. Some of you, these will be fresh. Number one, like we talked about last week, we must earn money honestly. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who steals steal no longer, but let him work with the hand so that he can make something and give it to those in need. We don't steal to get our money. We work honestly. James, as we will see here in about 10 weeks, will condemn the rich for not honestly taking care of those who mowed their lawns. Earn money honestly. Second, budget money for clarity. It is a guide to reality. It is. Luke 14, 28-30 says, Which of you goes to build a building and first does not count the cost? And then if you don't have enough to finish, it is almost you're ridiculed for not budgeting and counting the cost. We budget for clarity. My wife and I have a budget. We are not slaves to our budget. Notice I italicized it. It is a guide to reality. This is the money coming in. These are the things going out. This is the money left over. That is what we get to use. It's a very simple, very, very simple, I know you know this, revenues must exceed expenses. It's it's just mathematically that's the way it works. If your expenses exceed your revenues, this is called you're in the red. It's not good. Budget for clarity, it's a guide to reality. Let me tell you a story about a guy. He was a chef. Let me just set this up. He was a chef. A chef. So he knows food, right? Chef. He comes into me one day and he goes, Man, I'm just I just don't know where my money's going. I said, Do you have a budget? No. Okay. Well, how much let's look at your receipts. How much do you think you spend a day on food? Thirty dollars a day. Single guy. Times 30 is what? 900 a month? 900 a month. Do you know, chef, how many steaks you can cook for 900 a month? said, bro, we just got to get it. Let's just get it on paper. What are you bringing in? What are you going, where are you spending your money? If you're spending that much and you're still solvent, Man, have I got things for you to do. Budget for clarity. If you do not have a budget, I don't want to say that if it's not written. If you don't have a written budget, A, you are either really, really have a really keen mind, praise God if that's you, or you really think you know better than what's on the paper. I personally have it on written down because things get jumbled up up here. You need a budget. Third, we are to give money. Earn, give. Not earn, spend. Earn, give. We are to give money systematically. Proverbs 3 says it should be the first fruits of your wealth. 1 Corinthians 16.2 is the principle. They, Paul says there it was the first of every week. Now I think that's a principle. I, don't, I think it's, it's 
descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning I don't think you have to write a check every week to be in compliance with 1 Corinthians 16.2. I think it's the idea of a systematic giving. We write a check once a month to the church, to other things. It should be done in secret, Matthew 6.4. Let this be done in secret. Don't let everybody know what you're doing. Um, you're letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It should be done secretly. So much so, do you know who gave last week? Do you have any list? Do you? I don't. Those are your elders. We don't know. We have a general idea. We don't know. It should be done in secret. That doesn't mean we never look because we have to send out forms at the end of the year. This is how much it's... It's the idea of you're not proud, as the Pharisees were proud. It'd be like me walking out. Folks, check it out. I'm giving two grand today. That's right, two grand. It's going back, and the, you guys would be going, you're weird. Systematically, secretly, and look at 2 Corinthians 8.3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us for the favor of taking relief in the part of the saints. And it says here, for a severe test of affliction in their abundance of joy, in their extreme poverty, the Macedonians gave joyfully and bountifully. And it says it again in 9, 6, and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's maybe sometimes where we go off. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, you tithe the dill, the mint, and the cumin, yet you neglect the weightier matters, righteousness, justice, and equity. You should have done the latter, tithing, 10%. Without neglecting the former, righteousness, justice, and mercy. Tithing is a good place to start. Now, before you run out of here and go, whoa, wait a second, it's a good place to start. If you're not there because you've been told otherwise or you're in massive debt, let's start with 2 Corinthians 9. God loves a cheerful giver. We should all be moving toward and beyond the tithe. If you want to get real persnickety about how much the Jews gave of their money and go back to the Old Testament and see what they gave in the tithe and then what they gave in offerings and feasts, it was about 30% of their income. We're not going there, but I'm just saying the standard, it's a good place to start. The goal should not just to be get to the tithe and stop. It should be increasingly giving more and more for the glory of God with a joyful heart. We do not give to God, otherwise we're ever on this camp saying, if I give so much to the church, He's going to materially bless me. And that's not how God works. That's just not how He works. But He does bless the faithful who give to the church. And if you can't give 10%, I would, I would, I would urge you not to not give any because you can't give 10. I would say start with a dollar. And you may think, you're, you're joking. No, it's called the discipline of giving. And you give that joyfully to the Lord saying, right now because of strap debt or I'm confused about all this, God, I'm going to give you a dollar. 
And I'm going to believe, just like the little boy who gave his loaves and fishes, that you can take and multiply my dollar. Do we come to church and giving with that mentality? Or do we say, oh, I can't. I've been told 10%, not 10%. I can't. And I get all confused, so therefore I won't give any. Or I'm so wrapped up in my debt that I've got to pay all off this debt. We'll get more on debt in just a second. That I can't give any. That's not true. You can give some, and you can give it joyfully. Because the Macedonians, who were in extreme poverty, severe affliction, gave with an abundance of joy, and they overflowed so much more, they said, oh, can we give more? Can we give more? It should be proportionately and sacrificially. They gave according to their means and beyond. Which means if you are over here in this income bracket, give according to your means and beyond. If you're up here in this income bracket, give according to your means and beyond. And it should be given with priority. It should be given to the church first. I've had gentlemen tell me, well, I support this particular... And where do you go to church? Well, you... You go to church here, but you don't give any money to it. Well, you know, this organization has done so much for me. So you're using the church. Let's just call it what it is. You don't give to the church. You're coming, and Paul is a little more persuasive than I am. In fact, I I just want to read it because he is very persuasive. And he says in 1 Corinthians... 9, 8 through 11, he says, if we, let's just read 1 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned, or does he not speak entirely for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to, if we reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you, do we not have even more? Now Paul, with the Corinthians, so you don't think, well, Paul didn't take, he, he earned his own money. With the Corinthians he did, but he sure was supported by the Philippians. So let's, let's, not, let's not say Paul can... He's a bivocational pastor, and that's no, that was Paul with the Corinthians. Paul with the Philippians said, Hey, you send me some money, and thank you because you got to share in the work, and can you send some more? Philippians 4. 2 Corinthians 9. Paul is very, very persuasive. Starting in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also be genuine. Paul now says it's, a, it's an act of love. As Eric came up here said earlier, giving is an idea of worship. We should love the Lord our God with all our hearts, mind, and strength. And Paul says here, your giving is an act of love. And then he gives that quote from the Gospel. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake became poor, so that you might by His poverty become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work of giving, but you also desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to that person, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, 
but that it is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that the abundance may supply your need and that there may be fairness as it is written. He who gathered much had nothing left over and he who had gathered little had no lack. He is persuading them, and we'll see this even more, to give to the Jewish community in Jerusalem that needed money. And he says in 9, 1-6, watch this, this is a community obligation. Now it is superfluous of me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness. He's, he's bragging on them again. Of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, those who are in poverty, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Paul goes and says to the Macedonians, those folks in Corinth, they're putting together a big package. That's what he said. And here's what they say. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. This was a collective idea that this church in Corinth said, we're going to give so much to those folks in Jerusalem, and Paul's already boasted about it, and now he's saying, let's not slip on this. Otherwise, if Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing for you for being so confident. So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. He's persuasive. He basically says, you made a promise, keep your promise. And, you, and what, what dazzles me is this wasn't Paul writing to Gaius or Demetrius. This was Paul writing to a church, a community aspect of giving. It should be first to the church, then to, I would say, this is now I'm getting away from Scripture, I would say other gospel-centered organizations and then other God-honoring causes. And that's vague enough so that it doesn't, it leaves you room for wherever you're giving, as long as it's God-honoring. After you give, you should save money purposefully. Proverbs 13, 22 says, He who has an inheritance for his children's children, me, Lauren, Lawson, and Luke, Lord willing, their children. A wise man has an inheritance for those little guys that we don't even know who they are. Contra Luke 12, the guy who says, you know, i got a lot of grain. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build more barns so I can store more grain. And Jesus says in that parable, one of the 16, you fool, you don't even know if your, your life will be uh, counted for today. Don't just store up and hoard just to be hoarding. Don't put money under the mattress. Put some in the bank, but do it with a purpose. Are you saving for a down payment on the home? Are you saving to buy a car? Are you saving for, because it's good to have, traditionally speaking, not always, some months, I won't even give you a quote, so you, but some sort of months, if perhaps in God's sovereignty there are no sales or you get fired from your job, for instance. Should Andrew and Eric say, you are a poor pastor, you don't love these people, you teach heresy from the Scripture, you're gone. Hypothetical. 
least for a couple months, I would have, by God's grace, stored up some money so that I could go, okay, uh, I'll start. Eric, Eric would say, you start reading the Bible. Okay, I'll do that. And Andrew would say, please love the people. Okay. And I would, by God's grace, having set some money aside, be able to live for a couple months. That's what we ought to do. It's wise. Save purposefully, not just hoarding it up. Well, I got $100,000 in the bank. What for? Don't know. Just saving it. No, save money purposefully. Live simply. Live simply. There's a guy who wrote, or I don't know if he wrote it, but he said it. It's great. Live simply that others may simply live. And under there I put, avoid debt as much as possible. Proverbs 22. Notice all the Proverbs on this. Proverbs says, the borrower is the lender's slave. I am the slave, biblically speaking, to U.S. Bank right now because of my car. I'm, I am their servant. Each month, they want money from me because they own that black car that you've repaired. They own it. It is theirs. That is not mine. As much as I act, ultimately it's God's, but then it's the bank's, and then it's Judd's. Doesn't even have the title, to, so to speak. Got to pay that off, and then I, I'm not the slave of U.S. Bank. Romans 13.8 says, Owe nothing to anyone, yea, to love them. Avoid debt as much as possible. I put as much as possible on there because there's absolutely, well, I won't say that, there's very few ways to own a home, especially in this valley, for cash. So to purchase a home, but even then there are strategies if you don't need to necessarily go out as much as they want to give you. You can have a down payment. You can do it over 15 years, 20 years, etc. Avoid debt as much as possible. But the bigger issue, be content with what you have. Proverbs 30 says, Give me neither poverty or riches, because if I am impoverished, I might steal. If I'm too rich, I might curse you. Philippians, the classic text, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is not about me being able to lift the pulpit. Right? Paul says, If I've had a lot of food, I'm content. If I've had rice and ketchup, I'm content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Timothy says, if you have food and covering, with these you should be content. Hebrews 13, 5-6 says, be content. Do not fear other things. The Lord God has given His life for you. But we live in a society that doesn't say that. We live in a society that says, buy today, pay tomorrow. Slide the card. And so we sing, I owe, I owe. It's off to work, I go. I owe, I owe. And that's what drives. It shouldn't, last week's sermon, shouldn't drive us while we're working, but we're driving because we have debt. We're driven to go to work because we have debt. In fact, listen to this. Just remember this. We have so much personal debt in our nation that the average person has been described as someone driving on a bond-financed highway in a bank-financed car fueled by a charge card-financed gasoline going to purchase furniture on the installment plan to put in his savings and loan finance home. Let's be content 
came up, I didn't come up with this phrase. This phrase was told to us. I passed it on to some. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do or do without. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do, do without. Let me just give you a little example of how I try to do this. Don't always succeed. But sometimes my wife usually purchases our groceries. Sometimes she gets a, it's, it's soap, but it's labeled body wash. Sometimes she gets it and doesn't necessarily like it. And even though she's frugal and probably only spent a buck fifty, maybe two for it, she doesn't like it. So we could chunk it and consider it like a cup of coffee, but what do I do? I'll use it. Use it up, wear it out. I don't now I don't just do the little dime size thing, right? I mean I'm squeezing that baby, but we're using it. That soap. We're using it up, we're wearing it out, we're making bad soap do, or we're doing without. If you are in debt, Confront the brutal facts. List your liabilities. This is what I owe. This is the percentage on the loan. This is how much I have left. Make a debt payment plan and get, get help. And if you have credit cards and you are not disciplined with them, I am not opposed to credit cards. Uh, you can fly first class if you're disciplined with credit cards. But if you don't have discipline with credit cards, perform plastic surgery. And as Howard Dayton says, plan a D-Day. A day I'm going to be debt-free. Plan it. Because if you don't plan it, we will always be kind of wondering, oh, I wonder one day if I can get out of debt, versus here's, here's all the liabilities I have. Here's my debt. I, I want to be out of debt by this time. And how do you eat that animal? One bite at a time. Sure, you can get on a payment plan, but just one little bite at a time. And I assure you, you can be free from debt. Praise God. This is a testimony that we only have a car loan and a little school loan, and we could pay that car loan off considering it. I'm seeking counsel because the book says seek counsel. Abundance of counsel deserves victory. But to be debt-free is to be free. I talked to several people this week, and they said, yeah. I wish. It's free. If you're here today and you don't have much debt and you're maybe in college and you haven't accumulated all this debt, stay debt free. My wife and I went to seminary. We, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. We didn't eat out a whole lot and we got through seminary. Absolutely no debt. Owed nobody anything. Ramen noodles are good. They can, they can get old, but it, you can make them tasty. Uh, before I got married, tuna fish and peas, where it was a staple. And you put some mayonnaise in there and you almost don't taste any of that. You just eat it. Seriously. I speak from experience, and I'll be, get personal with you. I love my father. He taught me right from wrong. He did not view money this way. He viewed, your revenues are here. Nah, put your expenses over here. We'll make it work out. We'll play the lottery. We'll do something. And when he passed away, he left my mother a truckload of debt. And so I have had an aversion to money and debt like that since then. And my sweet mama, you've met her. She has got the gift of giving, and she is the faithful. She worked her tail end off, and she is no more debt. 
it's liberating to even start to think. You may be thinking, oh, and I'm almost done. You may be thinking, oh, there's just no way. Judd, you're talking about a little measly school loan. I've got, I don't care. We serve a mighty God, and he does great things. And if you have this much debt and you start making a plan, God will do what God's going to do. And we make a plan, and you can, do, you can get out of it. There's not this trap that I'll never get out of it. That is not true. There's the hope. A couple more. Invest money wisely. Treasures are temporal. They will go away. They'll either be eaten, they become rotten, or they, they're deceptive and they do not last. It says 1 Timothy 17. The deceitfulness of riches that go away. It, 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 it doesn't matter what you have. That car can be wrecked. That house can burn. The market can fail. Gold can go everywhere else. Everything is speculative. Everything. Everything. Just invest it wisely. We're stewards of His talents. He gave the stewards the talents. He got Jesus condemned one who just went and buried it in the ground. He said, at least you should have put it in a bank where it could have earned interest. Even banks are not, um, even banks are speculative. Banks can go under. But we should invest it, a portion of what we make, diversity and with common sense. Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, don't put all, basically don't put all your money in one place. Spread it out because you never know what the day will bring. Seven, spend money thoughtlessly and guiltlessly. So let me sh- show you the context. We earn, we budget, we give, we save, we live simply. We're investing. What, now we come to spending. It's not earn and then spend, right? Okay, so there's a numerical order. There's a reason for that. Okay, following me? I know the Broncos are on. TiVo is a great invention, all right? Spend money thoughtfully. This isn't my money. This is God's money. What am I going to do with that? It's rare that I carry cash, but I'm like, what are we going to do with that? And guiltlessly, meaning if you're earning your money honestly and you're giving your money systematically, joyfully, bountifully, etc., according to your means, it's not the same for everyone. And if you're saving some and you're trying to get out of debt, spend it guiltlessly. These people over here say, you, that money, Judd, that you have in your wallet should go, all, every single dime should go to feed the poor. Really? But if I'm doing this and the Lord's led my heart here and I'm given to this church, can I not take my wife out on a date? A good date? To the Cinebistro? Watch a movie? Never again will I ever go watch a movie ever again anywhere else. I'll save up months and months and months only to go back to the Cinebistro. You have to save up months and months and months if you want to go watch a movie at the Cinebistro. It's a nice experience, but it's cost money. But I went to that, and I don't feel one ounce guilty at all. Neither does she. And she thanked me for taking her there. So spend it guiltlessly. Don't keep these burdens on your head. We have such a perverted view of, of money and resources. Finally, if not the most important, submit your budget to accountability. 
David let people know in 1 Chronicles 29 what he had done for the temple. Nehemiah let people know what he was doing for the people. I'm not taking of the governor's rations, but here's what I've done with my money. 2 Corinthians 1-5, through it was a community commitment that Paul was holding them to. If you don't submit your budget to accountability, I will not go so far as to say you're sinning, but I will say, are you being extremely wise? Because all of us have blinders, and fresh eyes can look at that and go, what are we doing there? You need to submit your budget to accountability. First and foremost, primarily your wife. But if you and your wife can't handle money well, go seek somebody else. It doesn't need to be me. There are plenty of people in this congregation who will help you out. It doesn't mean it can't be me. I'm just saying don't have to feel like you have to come to me. But you need to submit your budget to accountability. The reason why this nation is out of control in their debt spending is everybody says, it's my money, I will do what I want to do with it. And it's gross. And I just yelled from the pulpit. Normally never do that. But this sticks in me. It is not your money. It is not my money. It is our money to be used for God's resources. And I'm tired of what I see happening to families and to young singles in this world because they bought into the lie of the media and the newspapers. Buy this. Own that and you'll be happy. It's a lie. It's false. It is from the pit of hell. Take what you make, put it on paper, take what you owe, put it on paper, hand it to somebody, and say, will you look at this and tell me if I'm doing good by God? And if I'm not, tell me where I can change. And just so you know, I'm not just a bunch of hot air. I did the exact same thing with those two men when I was coming here. Here's my budget. Here it is. This is what we owe. This is where we spend our money. What do you guys think? So I'm not above this. And let me end with hope. Hope. 1 Timothy 17, 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God has promised to take care of our needs. Philippians 4.19 He richly supplies us with needs. Needs. Not desires or wants. Needs. He will take care of us physically. That's what He said in Matthew 6. He turned Maslow's hierarchy on its head. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things they will be added unto you. And most importantly, if you're in here and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, He has taken care of you spiritually, which is most important. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. He gave His very Son to redeem you, to buy you back, to ransom all monetary language so that you could be with Him in heaven. Because He realizes all this down here, these are just, these are just little bitty, just teensy, beansy little parables of, of what heaven will be like. If you were outside yesterday and you go, man, yeah, God purchased that back through the death of Jesus Christ. That that creation, as beautiful as it is, still groans because we haven't seen what it's going to look like. Oh, I can't wait. And we 
have a special privilege as the church can come together and we could see changes made in people's lives, the gospel proclaimed, we could join together for endless possibilities. Endless possibilities. We can get out of the bondage of money into the blessing of ministry and there's nothing God can't do if we believe and are faithful and watch Him. I've seen it happen in young married classes where a small group said, we're going to get together. They went through Dave Ramsey's financial piece and they said, we, and they collectively, like 2 Corinthians, I'm not saying we have to do this, I'm just giving you an example. 2 Corinthians 9, this small group says, we have 30 grand worth of debt between these whatever families. And they each week marked it off. And it's gone. And you just see the joy on their faces. Wow. Praise God. Because they were humble enough to say, we need to rally together and do this. But if we keep living in our own little worlds where nobody has right to speak into it, I assure you, we will mismanage God's money not for His glory, but we're thinking it's our own good, but really it's to our own demise. There's some recommended resources there. I've laid them out on the table back here. Father, I want to see great things happen at Eagle Bible Church. And if we're really, really honest with you, Some of our struggles are financial. Not just as a church, but each of us as individuals and as a family. And we've run the opposite direction and not been open and honest about our finances with each other and with you. I pray that a spirit of humility, a spirit of community, a spirit of honesty would permeate every single person in this room that today would be the day that we don't hide anymore if we've been hiding. And Lord, you know from, I say this from the bottom of my heart, this is not about getting more money for Eagle Bible Church. Father, you know from my heart, this is about seeing everybody in here overflowing with joy because they are not strapped financially. God, I hope to see that from everybody. Might we do something spectacular only by your grace and only for your glory where we could be a debt-free church, not just as a church collectively, but a debt-free church in a sense individually. And might we set the pace for other churches to follow. Not because we want any glory, but because we want to continue to point to that your word really works in our hearts. And that when we apply what you've called us to do, we're radically joyful, radically free. But we know our salvation didn't come to us by anything that we did. And this is not going to come to us until we recognize who you are and what you've done. Help us, enable us, convict us where we need to be convicted, comfort us where we need to be comforted, compel us where we need to be compelled, so that when we show up, you look in our eyes and you say, well done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.